scripture reading will come from John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. If you have a pew Bible, you can find those verses on page 941. Again, that's John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what you we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the, on, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and truth of the Father, of the Father seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It is encouragement to have you with us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. And as we think about guests, we all want to be mindful, as already been mentioned and and also been prayed about, and that is Vacation Bible School. But we want to mention it again, just to remind everybody, now is the week to invite. Make sure that, that you're letting children know that it is next week and letting the parents and grandparents know that it's next week so that plans can be made. And keep in mind that the Teen Vacation Bible School, that's 7th through 12th grade, will be held at the Mount Juliet Middle School in the cafeteria. And so that will be the location of that, and there will be shuttles going from here to there. If, if the children or the youth are dropped off here, we can transport them no problem. Or if they want to go directly to the middle school, they're welcome to do that. It's exciting to think that the opportunity to plant seeds of the Word of God and of truth in the lives of so many young people. Be prayerful about it, and let's all do everything we can do to make sure that we bring as many youth to this event as possible for the glory of God. The little boy was being tucked in bed by his father and his father making small talk said, son, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? The little boy said, daddy, it was 3,337. Father thought that's kind of an odd place to stop and so he said, son, why, why did you stop? Do you not know what comes after 3,337? He says, sure, it's 3,338. And he said, well, then why did you stop there? He said, Daddy, that's when the sermon was over. Now, let me ask you, what, what do you do during worship? What do you do during a sermon? You know, some of you that are probably construction or architectural-minded uh, you may be able to tell us exactly how many lights are in this auditorium because maybe that's what you do during worship. You may know exactly how many columns there are around the room because that's what you do in worship. Some may make out a grocery list. Some may reminisce about last week and some may make plans for next week. Some may think how they're going to spend the afternoon. Others may be people watchers and just checking everybody out. What do you do during worship? Wouldn't it be interesting if individuals just really revealed exactly how it was? Do you realize in this room, there would be those that would say, this hour of worship is the highlight of my week. And there would be others, if the honest truth be told, they would probably say, you know, I just bear it. The truth is, it's the most boring hour of my week. 
but I feel like that to please God, that that's something he wants me to do, and so I just make it happen, but I dread it to be each week, to be honest with you. Now, how is it that the same period of worship could mean totally two different things of such far extremes to different people? What is it that you do in worship? Have you ever noticed that if you're told to just sit through something, it always seems long? You know, if you're in a grocery store line and you're just standing there and you're waiting to be checked out, it seems long, doesn't it? And think about it, you may only wait five or six minutes, but if you're not doing anything, five or six minutes seems so long. You ever wondered why to some people an hour of worship seems so long, and for other people they... They kind of, after the hour's over, looked down to see if it really was an hour because it went so fast. You realize that there's some people that gather and they attend a worship service and they don't really do anything. And there's other people that the time flies because they're doing something. They're doing something every second of every minute of the hour of worship. What do you do in worship? More importantly, this morning as we studied, let's ask the question, what would God want us to do in worship? Really, what is worship? Worship is pouring out adoration to God. And it's interesting, as we talked about last week, about true worshipers. And we looked at the fact that, that Judah... Even though under Josiah, the outward religion had been cleaned up, the idols had been demolished, and it looked like that the, the religion that God would have wanted under that time period had been restored. But yet when we see Jeremiah addressing the people, he addressed the fact that, that it wasn't so. There was something wrong, not necessarily with the outside religion. What was wrong with, was with the inside. In other words, the individuals weren't true. They weren't genuine. And the text that we've just read, did you notice there in verse 23 and 24? Look back at that again in John the fourth chapter. Notice it is the Lord searching for true worshipers as we studied last week. But notice, He's looking for those worshipers, number one, that will worship God. We're here not for ourselves. We're here for God. We are here to worship. What's worship? Pour out adoration. Pour out our praise, our adoration to God. And then notice he says, I want you to do it in spirit. And if you'll notice in your Bible, that's a lowercase s. You know, we're going through a study right now of the Holy Spirit on Sunday evenings. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit right here. When he says, I want you to worship in spirit, he's talking about our life. The word spirit can also mean breath. In other words, it is the breath, the life that we have within us. We might could even say our being. Are you going to worship God with your being? Now, next week, we're going to come back and look at the third one here. We worship God in spirit. That's what we'll look at this morning. And then next Sunday morning, and in truth. And we're going to look at the standard of the conduct of our worship. But for this morning, let's think about this important fact. Are we worshiping God in spirit? In other words, it's the inside out. It's not just the action. For example, is it possible for you this morning to come and sing songs, bow your head, dinner prayer, chew up some bread, swallow some grape juice, throw something into a plate, 
endure a sermon, and walk out of here and not worship? Absolutely. You've heard me ask this before, but if you leave here and go to a restaurant and someone asks you at lunch, hey, what did you do this morning? In order to tell the truth, would you need to say, I attended worship this morning? Or could you honestly say, I worshiped this morning? What's the difference? Worship is action that individuals are involved in when they've come with a heart that loves God and wants to praise God, wants to adore God, and they come together with others of like faith, their, their body of Christ, their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they come together to pour out that adoration to God. For example, look in Colossians, the third chapter in verse 16. When we first glance at Colossians 3 and 16, it'd be easy to say, well, this is a passage about singing, and it is. But there's something else I want you to notice here at the end of Colossians 3 and 16. Notice he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice this, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now this morning, if I said that we're going to study about the grace that God offers us, that would not be uh, any surprise. It wouldn't sound anything strange about the wording. But what if I say to you this morning, we're going to study about the grace that we offer to God. Some would say, I've never thought about the fact that we offer grace to God. Some would even say, is it possible to offer grace to God? Well, what does grace mean? Grace is a generous gift. Here in Colossians 3 and 16, he says, I want you to have a heart that is ready to generously give back to God through song. Notice again at the end of 16 there, as he says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What is worship? Worship is an action that begins on the inside and results with an action. All five acts of worship, if they are done without the heart, they are hollow. They are not worship. It would be vain worship. It would be empty or worthless worship. Because God is not asking you, can you endure an hour service a couple of times a week? God is asking you to come and to see Him on a throne high and lifted up. To love Him. Hopefully we love Him all week and we can't wait to come together to pour out that adoration to Him. And the beauty is, one of the sideline results of that is, we leave charged up. We leave recognizing the perfect God and our weakness and the gracious God and our redemption. We leave seeing the God who is worthy of our life, who is worthy of our service, and we leave after a worship that is in spirit and in truth, we leave loving God more than ever and loving all that God has done for us. Why? Because we attended something? Not only because we attended, but because we attended and worshiped the Almighty God. 
So for the next few minutes, let's look at the five acts of worship as we've already looked at singing right here. And let's see how the Lord teaches that every one of these are to be connected to the heart. Look with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians, 11th chapter, we have the teaching that would have been the earliest written teaching on the Lord's Supper. Now, I know that may sound strange when you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you would think, well, those Gospels, they have accounts of the Lord's Supper, and the Gospels were, were written about time periods before 1 Corinthians, but yet 1 Corinthians was actually written before the Gospels. And so this would have been the earliest written uh, teaching on the Lord's Supper for the church to go back to and say, how is it that the Lord wants us to partake of this supper? Now, picking up in verse 24 and 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, is that enough? Just take and eat it? No, you know the rest of this verse. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So what is he teaching about the, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine? Do we need to partake of it? Absolutely. There's an outward action. But that outward action needs to stem from what? From a heart. A heart that loves God. Notice, the, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, the spiritual heart is not an organ that pumps blood. The spiritual heart is the mind. And he says, I want your heart to be connected to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. I want you to think about the sacrifice that, I'm, that Jesus made in giving his body. And think about that, appreciate that, have gratitude, have praise for that. And when it comes to taking the fruit of the vine, the Lord's blood not only purchased our salvation, but it purchased the new covenant that tells us of that one hope of the calling, as Ephesians 4 calls it. And he says, I want you to take of the fruit of the vine in remembrance. I want your heart to be connected to what you're doing. Have you ever noticed that if someone is really, really serious about something, they'll say, he or she does that with all their heart. Do you see what the Lord is teaching us about worship? He wants us to do this in spirit. In other words, with all of our being. Yes, He wants us to do it with all of our heart, and that heart is going to be connected to actions. Look with me, if you will, to Matthew the 6th chapter. In Matthew the 6th chapter, we see the teaching about prayer that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, going into the middle of that teaching about prayer, He says in verse 7, Matthew 6 and verse 7, He says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So is it enough just to have an, an outward action of prayer going on? I've studied several times with individuals, and this isn't to criticize them, it's just to point out a reality that it still exists very much today. 
I've studied with many individuals that said, I don't really know how to pray because in the religion I grew up in, all we did was memorize prayers and we stated the same prayers over and over. And so all I know is how to do a memorized prayer. Well, they're right when they say that and say, I don't know how to pray because that's not what God wants. God is not looking for vain repetition. In other words, vain means empty. If we're going to repeat something, whether it's short or whether it's long, doesn't matter how short or how long, if it is vain, if it is empty to us, if it has no meaning to us, it doesn't belong in a prayer. Why? Because God wants the acts of worship to be connected to the heart of men and women. God wants us to pray from our heart a heart that adores God, a heart that leans upon God and petitions God, a heart that praises God, a heart of gratitude that thanks God. As a matter of fact, in James the fifth chapter, the last part of verse 16, he says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now that where he says effective and fervent, in the original Greek, that's one word. And it's, it's a word that has to do, of course, with the seriousness of that approach to God in prayer. Effective and fervent. Now, think of that as opposed to it's not a lighthearted, casual approach in prayer. In other words, when we're serious about something, what do we say? That person put their heart into it. What does God want? God doesn't want prayers that are vain repetition. God doesn't want prayers where someone says something to fill up 30 seconds or three minutes or, or seven minutes of time and it has no meaning to the person that's saying the prayer. God wants our prayers to stem from the heart. That's a time that the heart of the individual is communicated to God. I want you to pause here for just a moment and think of this simple application. Prayer is talking to God. Have you ever talked to someone and as you were talking to them, you thought, they really aren't connected in this conversation at all. I could say anything right now and they would just nod and say yes. They, they could care less. They couldn't care less. Of, of what we're talking about right now. Now how many times has God said that whenever we've prayed? They don't have any idea what they're saying right now. They're just repeating some things they've heard other people say. They're just trying to fill up some time so they can check off and say, I've prayed today. They're just trying to fill up some time so, so, that, so that the prayer before the audience won't be too long or it won't be too short. Instead, God says, I want you to be more concerned about whether or not it's effective and fervent. Is it real? Is it a part of your heart that loves God and you're approaching God as you lead the congregation in prayer as we think about worship. But also, if you will, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. We see that every act of worship is connected to the heart. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 7, 
We're again in the middle of a paragraph and this paragraph is written about the giving, the contribution of Christians to the Lord's church and to his work. And notice what he says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. And uh, some of your translations probably says as he plans in his heart. The word purpose means to plan. So how are we to give? It's not just simply, well, when something comes around, we are involved in only a monetary act. Now, if you've been around here many months, you already know that because we studied one month about how stewardship is connected to trust. It's connected to whether or not we're willing to give God our heart and say, here's my heart, here's my life. I trust you, God. And so when we give, what are we doing? We are connecting our heart to say, Lord, Here's what I have purposed. And you remember, we studied several months ago, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 is tied back to that purposing, being tied back to a percentage. As he has prospered us, we give back. And so there is a connection of let me count and see how much God has given me, see how the heart's involved in it. And when I go into worship today, I'm going to give back to him based upon what I've planned. I've already thought about this. I've already planned this. My heart is connected to this. My appreciation to God is connected to this. My understanding that God is the resource for everything that I have that's good in my life. All of this is involved in our heart and we're giving back to God. And notice, not only do we see that the heart is connected in the plan, but it's also connected in the attitude. Look at the rest of verse 7. Not grudgingly. Or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so God even says, I can tell you what kind of heart I want you to have, not only in planning, but I can tell you what kind of heart I want you to have in attitude. I don't want you doing it just because you have to. I want you to love me. I want your heart to be connected to my heart. David was a man after God's own heart. What do you think David's worship looked like? Now, I understand David wasn't a New Testament Christian. I'm not asking that. I'm just talking about, do you think David was a man who worshiped in spirit? Do you think when David sung songs to God, do you think it was from his heart if he was a man after God's own heart? When David gave back, do you think it was connected to his heart? There's no such thing as worship to pour out adoration to God without the heart being connected. Let's look at the final act of worship this morning, and that is the studying of God's Word. If you will, look to Luke, the 8th chapter. In Luke, the 8th chapter, we have the parable of the four types of soil. The seed is the Word of God, and it's going to be cast out. And it's going to land on all kinds of soils, but there's only one soil that is what should be. And so let's go straight to that one and look at verse 15. This is the type of soil that hopefully all of us would be that could be a part of worship in spirit. In verse 15, but the ones that fell, that's the seeds that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, now notice what they do, kept it and bear fruit with patience. What does the Lord want us to do when we come into worship and and we have a study or a preaching of God's Word? First thing He says is, I want you to be good soul. I want you to have a heart that is honest. I'm not going to try to tweak the Word. I'm going to take the Word and tweak my life. I'm not going to try to change the Word. 
I want to change my life. A good heart doesn't seek to change the word, manipulate the word. A good and an honest heart says, Lord, I want to receive your message. Keep in mind, the word of God is God speaking to us. Lord, I'm listening. Like Samuel said when he's a little boy, speak, Lord, thy servant hears. Lord, speak. Your servant hears. What are we going to do with it? Two things in the good soil does. Number one, he keeps it. Lord, I want to hear your word preached because I want to understand it so that I can know how to keep it. Number two, Lord, I want to understand it because I want to know the fruit that you want me to produce in your kingdom. The kingdom is worthy of our labor. Lord, I want to know how to work in the kingdom. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 tells us about the word of God. It's inspired. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto what? Every good work. Lord, I want to know how to be involved in every good work. And I understand that to do that, I need to know the Scripture. I understand that when we come together to worship, the time of study through preaching, I want to learn your will. Now, please note this. You have, go back to your school days. I'm not giving you a nightmare. I'm just saying, go back to your school days. And, and I want you to imagine, you have a big test tomorrow. It's very important to you. And someone says, you only have 30 minutes to study tonight for that test. Now, there may be some wise guy in here that, you know, made like a 36 on the ACT, and you're like, that's all I need is 30 minutes. But you know, the rest of us, if it's a very important test, and somebody says, you only have 30 minutes, most of us would be like, what? You're only going to give me 30 minutes to study? And can you imagine, can you imagine sitting down and, and trying to study in 30 minutes to be prepared? Can you imagine how quick that time would pass? How, how you'd sit down and you'd be like, and they'd say, time's up. You'd be like, oh no, please, just let me have that much time, just one more time, please, just 30 more minutes. Have you wondered why for some people the sermon seems so long? Are you studying during the sermon? Because you know, if you don't study and you just sit in the library and you twiddle your thumbs for 30 minutes, 30 minutes is a long time. But back in the school days when you said, I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to study for 30 minutes, that wasn't long at all. You know, when you come together to worship God and you realize, you know, this is the words I live by. And there's a test, it's called life. And there's a way to live. I need to obey it. And there's a purpose for my life. I need to produce the fruit. And I can only learn those things through the Word of God. And when we approach worship in spirit, when our heart is tr truly devoted to learning the Word of God, think how powerful that is. You know, in Romans the 15th, chapter, I'm sorry, Romans the 10th chapter, we, uh, we often, of course, read this because it's written, you might say with kind of, if you're going to look at the emphasis of people, it seems like the emphasis is on the preacher. But I'd like for you to read this and think about just the opposite, or, or not the opposite, but the others, and that is those in the audience. Look, look at Romans 10 and 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so here Paul writes this text to say, look how important it is for us as churches to send out preachers. Because if if people can't hear, they can't believe. And if they can't believe in the Lord, they can't call out and obey His plan of salvation. But now let's think about this from the audience standpoint. How important is it for the audience to say, I want to learn. I want to believe. I want to be able to use my life to call out what is the will of God. You know, uh, I think about the little lighthearted story that I heard just last night. A preacher, a lawyer, and a doctor went deer hunting. They were outside of each other. They didn't realize how close they were to each other. Big buck walks out. They all fire at the same time. Sounds like one shot, the buck drops. They all start walking to it, and as they walk closer, they realize everybody thinks it's their buck. And so when they get closer, the the doctor says, I tell you what, let me examine the deer, and maybe I can figure out who killed it. And so he looks over the deer, and he says, well, it was only one shot, so it's only one of us that hit the deer. He says, let me examine a little further, and and, um, I might be able to figure out who killed the deer. He examines a little more, and he says, you know, it was the preacher. And the lawyer is kind of offended by that. He wanted, of course, to be himself. And he says, I want evidence. In my line of work, evidence is important. Now, how can you prove that it was the preacher? And the guy says, well, it's easy. The shot went right in one ear and out the other. Now, any profession is going to have jokes that target them. That's the kind of jokes in our profession. But you know, I understand that's lighthearted, but when you flip it around, isn't that really a slam on an audience? To think that something as important as the Word of God is considered to be a time that you just endure for it to go in one ear and out the other. There's a lot of dangers to that, but for this morning's topic, the danger is that's not worship. Worship is connected to the heart. Worship is when an individual says, Lord, I want to sing because I love you so much and I want to pour out my adoration. I want to pray because I have concerns on my heart and I want to talk with you. I want to take of your son's supper because I love and appreciate so much your son coming to this earth and the blood that was shed. I want to give because I've been thinking all week long about how generous you are to me, God, and I have a plan. And I'm just thankful for the opportunity to give back to you. And Lord, I want to study. I realize that your words are the words of life. And I want those words to be kept and to produce fruit this morning. What God wants is for us to worship Him in spirit. Next Sunday, we'll come back and talk about truth. Is your heart wholly devoted to God? If not, are you ready to turn? There's not anything better than we can do with our heart than become deeper and deeper in a relationship with God. Maybe you've known God, but you've never obeyed God. Maybe you've obeyed God in some ways, but never given yourself totally to God and been serious about it. This morning, 
If you need to be immersed in Christ for the remission of your sins or if you need to be restored and brought back to a right relationship with Him, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.